0: Can I have 15 minutes? Be sure. working for 15 minutes. Okay. I need, I need the flannel board down. Cro- that picture crossed my mind and I remember standing uh-huh. in a classroom while everybody else went to recess yeah. and I had to write on the board yeah I will not whatever it was I did well basically is I will not be Bob because I discovered early on it's the Bob that gets me in trouble that's, that's why I changed my name Yeah, Robert's much easier to get along with Okay, I, I'm just gonna do just a little bit. I think that did everybody get like a handout that had? Okay. We are definitely not gonna cover all that today. And I've been, I just wanna kinda maybe plant something today, give you guys a chance. You got the notes, you can start thinking about it. The, as we've been going through Genesis, um, back months ago when I was here and I was actually doing Genesis with you. Um, One of the things that we talked about was how most of us, are, much of our theology, we were taught by the flannel graph, and we were taught that the flannel graph is inerrant. And in the places where the flannel graph didn't exactly align with the Bible, the Bible was the problem because the flannel graph is inerrant. The other thing, and this is where I want us to get to today, the other problem with the flannel graph is it's two-dimensional, and if I work at it, I can kind of make it three-dimensional in my mind, but the flannel graph and the stories it tells me are two-dimensional stories. But when I go to the Bible, the Bible is not a two-dimensional book. It's not even a three-dimensional book. It's way beyond that and so i began my mind and how i see things and how i think things through and how i you know i end up in this place where it's at, it's hard at times i read certain scriptures and those scriptures are not two or even three dimensional scriptures but i try to fit them into my religious construct and so what happens the verse doesn't fit so what do you do with a verse that doesn't fit you stop reading it You just skip over it. I'm the reader. I can read any verse I want. I don't understand that one. It gives me a headache when I think of it. It's got some bizarre word in it. I don't know what it is. And it doesn't fit with what the flannel graph taught me. And for where we are right now, what the flannel graph taught me about creation. Because the creation was just these two cute Caucasians We're wearing something from the beginning because I'm embarrassed by naked people. (laughs) And they had these cute little critters around, and you know how the story goes. So that's what the flannel graph told us. But then when I go to Genesis and I actually read Genesis, it doesn't tell me that. It tells me something different. So what I want to at least put out there, and I'm going to unpack this in the weeks ahead, but Genesis, starting at chapter, chapter 1, starting verse 26 and 27, if we read it not by the flannel graph, but we read it by what it says, it immediately creates an issue. And I have to say, when I read that, when I read verse 26 and 27, how I've historically read it, I now realize I was incorrect. And it's not what it's saying. And what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is unpack that a little bit. Because the other thing with the Bible, it will interpret itself. Where we usually get into trouble in doing good exegesis or good study of the Bible, where we don't get off on some tangent here or there, is we read a verse and I'm going to use Harold Everly's words from the roundtable that I was at. Well, I guess it's close to two weeks ago. I read a verse, and the problem is I'm lazy. Can I
1: just die? Yeah. Fifteen minutes or up. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't
0: even put anything on the board. <laughs> the problem is I'm lazy because I read a verse, I don't understand a verse, or it doesn't, you know, there's something about that verse that doesn't seem to fit. And instead of actually studying the scriptures to find out where are the other scriptures that relate to this, and what are they saying about that, and how does this all fit together, I'm lazy in that I don't do that. So I do one of, I do, I can do several things. One, I just ignore it and skip over it. Two, I just flip open a commentary, and go, well, that's what he said. And then I just move on without giving any real thought. Does that actually line up? Does that make sense? I realize that's his opinion. And he studied it out. But does that fit? So what we're going to look at over the next couple Sundays is this idea that what we've studied in creation so far we've looked at the scene you know god created i mean that's that's what it tells that's what we see right but then the next piece though starting with chapter 20 or verse 26 there's another whole story that's happening But this story is a little more subtle. And this story doesn't get defined in Genesis. We have to look elsewhere for what actually is happening in that story in Genesis. And it's the story of the unseen. Which the Bible, we're going to look at various places. But for where we're at right now, what we're really going to be looking at for at least two weeks is this issue... Of the Elohim. Oh, well, that's God, right? I don't think so. God is an Elohim. The Elohim, plural, are not God, Yahweh. And this isn't a play on words. This is something I really want us to get. Because I can tell you, at least in my own experience, once I began to see this, it was like a domino effect started to happen as I'm working my way through the Old Testament. A bunch of things that didn't seem to really fit or make sense, all of a sudden, they make sense. So, in your notes, our starting point. Is verse 26 and 27. Then God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and everything and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him Male, female, he created them. And over in Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So what do we have? We we need to look at these verses because 26 and 27, we have Elohim which can be properly used, plural or singular, either way. It's totally contextual. So we have God, Elohim, singular, then saying, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The Elohim shifts to plural in the pronoun, But then it comes back to singular when after this discussion has been had and an agreement has been made, it switches back to singular with God, Elohim, saying, I'm going to create man in my image, singular. And then when we go over to Genesis 2, what do we find? That's the first place that Lord God is used, which is Yahweh Elohim. Now, I'm not trying to be tedious here. I just want us to get this. Okay, are you guys okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I'm gonna. am just gonna make this point, and that's the only point I'm gonna make for today. So, what's actually happening? We have God talking to someone beyond Himself, having a conversation arriving at a conclusion, and then in himself doing something. And the writer of Genesis is telling us that God, the singular, is Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. So the writer is saying there are Elohim, and then there is Yahweh Elohim, there is the Lord God. I have been taught and have taught, and if I don't catch myself, I'll still teach it because it's pretty well ingrained. I have taught that verse 26 is actually the Trinity having a discussion within itself about what they're about to do, and that 26 is actually a proof text for the Trinitarian position, which I no longer agree with. I took myself outside. I had a good talking to myself, and I said, "Boy, you ain't right here." <laughs> Came back in, and I looked at it. And as I as I and I've talked to others, this is not just some place I've arrived on my own. Um, and actually, next week I'm going to give you a list of some books if you really want to dig this stuff out because you're sure that I don't know what I'm talking about. You can there's some other books that you can do and and go at it. I don't believe that. Because what what we're saying, and we'll you know next week we'll take this apart even more, but this is not God Yahweh having a conversation with himself about what he's going to do. This is actually Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God talking to a council about what is about to take place and you have the notes so you you can. Read ahead, but when you go to Psalms 82 and Psalms 89, which is which we'll unpack next week even further, Psalms tells us this is a council. The Psalms 82 and 89 actually define what was happening in Job, it defines what was happening. It tells us clearly in scripture that what was happening here was not Yahweh Elohim having a discussion within himself, within the Trinity, going. So, boys, what do you want to do today? I'm kind of thinking we could create something. Why don't we make the earth? Woo, and we get the earth growing. Hey, there's this thing called man. I've been kicking that idea around for a while. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's boot that thing up and get it done. It wasn't that. And we're going to look at that further. But for today, this is where we're going, All right? You can ponder this. That um, one and let me. Yeah, it's up there. I'll just let it stick. When when you read the word Elohim, when you see that when you read through Scripture and you see God, and if you look that up in the Hebrew and you go, "Oh, that's Elohim," it's actually uh, Strong's number four thirty, and it's almost always Strong's number. 30, if you're looking that up in Strong's Concordance. Elohim is not a description of character. It's a description of location. Elo- the word Elohim means a place of residence. So when the Bible is talking about the unseen realm and it, res- and it refers to certain Entities in this unseen realm, and it refers to them as Elohim. They're Elohim because they're in the unseen world. It is their place of residence. When, when God created man, and He's. He, you know, he said, let us first, he said, let us create man in our image. So what was happening with the council? There was, a, there was this, the image, what was the image? So if I, when I think about God, and we've been trained to do this, we often think about God from a standpoint of attributes. God has attributes. Yahweh, Elohim, has attributes. So our mind immediately takes the, the, the phrase God and puts attributes to it when the biblical writers didn't do that that's not how they saw that what they saw was god elohim was a place of residence it's what's happening in this realm or what's happening in this realm so it's realm specific not attribute specific for me that was that was very like theologically Challenging and changing for me, because it meant I had to start thinking about things a little bit differently and how the scriptures are, are saying things. So, they say, let's make man in our image. Again, for the flannel graph, kind of the image of God that I get because I've been made in his image, it's like he's got ten fingers, he's got ten toes, He's got two legs, and he has some other attributes because he's a he, and he wears something. But what does the Scripture say? How does the Scripture define being in the image and the likeness, which image and likeness are the same, are the same word? And in the Hebrew, what they actually mean is to shade or to image. So we bring it into image or into English and use the word image. But how does the scripture define the image of God that we've been created in? He immediately says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over and he lists dominion. What the image of God that we as the imagers carry is the ability to walk in dominion and actually establish something. That's the image of God that you are. That's the image of God that I am. We're the imagers because we move and create things and bring things onto the, onto the earth that we have, as we've talked about in weeks past, there's this place of dominion that's in every one of us and you can't get away from it. You won't call it dominion, but it's dominion nonetheless. And it doesn't make any difference how poor you are, how rich you are. It's not a social status at all. Wherever you are, there's something inside of you that will begin to take dominion in the place that you are. And as I said, I've been to Haiti. I've been to one of the poorest countries in the world. I've been with people and sat in their homes, which are a 10 by 10, tin, wood, plastic, on a good day dwelling and I watched the women sweep the floor, and I watched the women polish the pots, and I watched the men do certain things. That is dominion. They can't not do it. So, how are we in the image of God? We're the image image bearers of God, but he tells us in the Scripture what makes us in his image is this thing of dominion that he's put us. It's not just an assignment. It's not just... Go do this. We are the imagers. And as imagers, this thing that he has put in us, being created in his image, we can't not do it. To to not do it is to die. And stop any of us from doing it. And watch what happens to us. We can't get away from it. Okay, thank you, that was my 15 minutes. Next week we're gonna start in, we'll pick up, we're just. I don't know where we're gonna start, we're gonna pick up. In the meantime, I have to get back to my assignment. You all have a great afternoon, as soon as I get my 200 done on the board, I'm going home and having lunch.